to St Matthew's online to this service of word and of prayer. Uh, Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. One of the things we do as we sing as God's people is we make the choice to, to remember the goodness and the greatness of God. So as David and Emma Sini lead us in singing this morning, whether you can get on your feet or whether you'd prefer to stay seated, let's, uh, let's join together in singing praise to the Lord the Almighty.
welcome again. Uh, if you're new to St Matthew's here at Manly, uh, my name is Andrew Graham, I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, my particular roles are with the congregation that normally meets here face to face on a Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, uh, as well as with pastoral care across each of our congregations. Uh, we welcome back uh, today John Dixon to wrap up uh, this year's midwinter winter sessions on the, the topic of the Jesus I never knew. We're looking forward to hearing from John this morning as he speaks from the Bible about Jesus as servant, Jesus as the servant. Now, it may be through this series that as you've been listening, you've realised that you've never really known Jesus. And it may be that you've even reached that point where you'd like to know how, to, how you would get to know him better. You'd like to know how to turn to him and you're ready for that. Uh, at the end of John's talk uh, today, uh, John will again receive uh, questions that you may have uh, on the text line, uh, but I'll also be asking a few questions of John myself on your behalf, asking John what steps you would need to take to begin to follow Jesus and what that might look like. Uh, so before the end of the service today, there'll be a, an opportunity for you to say to God that you want to turn to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And we wanted you to know that as the service begins, that there will be that, service, uh, that, that opportunity uh, before we finish today to put your trust in Jesus and begin to follow him. Before we go any further, it would be good to come to God and ask for his help as we come to him uh, in this service of word and prayer. So please join me in this prayer of penitence. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Amen. Now there's an opportunity for us to say out loud what it is that we believe about the greatness of God and the love of God. Please join me as we recite together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Just to bring you up to date uh, about a few things that are happening at St Matthew's, uh, the first thing is to say we really welcome people who are, are new uh, to St Matthew's, so if it's your first time here, we'd love to know that you've been here. We, we really hope uh, you find that this service is enjoyable and worthwhile for you. We'd love to know that you've been here and you could use the online connect card to get in touch with us, that QR code that should be coming up on your screen. Yes, there it is. And it'll be there also at the end of the service.
I would be especially keen for you to be in touch with us is if there's anywhere, any way that you're aware we might be of help to you. So you could certainly uh, use that now or if something comes up during the week, by all means call our office. The number is on the front page of our website. Uh, but welcome uh, if you are new with us. Speaking of new, uh, there's a new book that we're promoting now at St Matthew's. It's a book which our speaker John has brought to our attention and he'll say a little bit more about this. He'll, he'll have something to say uh, during his talk. Uh, but the book is especially relevant to this little series and where we're getting to at this point in the series. It's the sort of thing that which, which would be a really good follow-on if you still have questions left. Uh, and it's called Seven Reasons to, Re to Reconsider Christianity. It would be an excellent read for anyone who is just exploring these questions for the first time or who, who maybe after years has realised, I really need to, to investigate that. Now, as the name suggests, it gives seven reasons to think carefully about the Christian faith. And here's a couple that are given. Uh, because the Christian faith is more intellectually credible than you think, and because Christianity is about life to the fullest. Uh, John spoke last week uh, with a few of us uh, about the way in which this was written by a close friend of his who died earlier this year. And in some ways, this is his, his last testimony. Very touching uh, to be reading his story and the rationale for why he kept going strong in following Jesus right to the end of his time with us. Well, Cezanne is going to be leading in prayer in a moment, uh, but I'll just mention in case you missed, this, uh, missed the email message, messages during the week, uh, that sadly our much-loved Wal Edwards uh, died last Sunday afternoon. Uh, there was a service for him, a very small service, uh, at Northern Suburbs Crematorium on Thursday afternoon, and the family will be arranging a much more extensive uh, memorial service so that many of us can gather together to give thanks to God for his life and his salvation and just remember some of his story. Uh, so that's, uh, uh, that'll be something that uh, Cezanne prays about, amongst other things. Thank you, Cezanne. Thank you, Andrew. So wherever you are, why don't you just bow your head and um, let's come before our great God. Let's take a moment to be still. Lord God, you are the one who forms the mountains, who creates the wind and reveals your thoughts to mankind. You turn dawn to darkness and tread on the heights of the earth. The Lord Almighty is your name. We are humbled by your love, Lord. Let us come before you now with humble hearts. God, as we find ourselves in an extended lockdown, we pray that we would be godly in the midst of it all. By your powerful spirit, help us to love you with all our hearts and minds. And let us care for others as well as ourselves. Let us be kind to our kids, to our partners, to our families, to our neighbours. God, you know, nerves are frayed and people are stressed. So we plead with you today for that little extra measure of kindness and joy. Fill us with your spirit to the brim, we ask. 
In the communities where you've placed us, show us how to play our part in encouraging, serving, praying for others. Help us to remind ourselves and each other that a virus may win some battles, but it will lose the war because death is defeated and victory belongs to our God who still sits on the throne. Lord God, we thank you for an amazing answer to prayer and providing for our church so generously. You have been gracious in answering our prayers through the generosity of your people. Lord, we pray that we would be wise and faithful with the money you have made available so the love, grace, and truth of Jesus can be made known everywhere. God, we do thank you for the life and the salvation of our wonderful Will Edwards. God, thank you that he's now at home with you where he is more alive and full of joy than in all the 104 years you gave him in this world. Thank you for the servant-heartedness of the man and all the lives he touched. God, will you bring comfort to his loved ones as they grieve his loss. Almighty God, we worship you, even as we struggle through days of uncertainty, because you are our loving God of comfort who lifts us up when we fall and cry. You are our wise God. God, you are our source of hope. Fill us completely with joy and peace because we trust in you. Then we'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord will be our strength and will shine like bright lights in this generation. God, we pray in your powerful name that we will rise to take our place as your children with a message of hope for this broken world. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you. In the name of Jesus, who broke into darkness to bring light, we pray this. Amen. We'll now have some more music.
Well, good morning. My name's Barry Hammond. I go to the 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock services, and I'm also a community chaplain. There are two readings today. The first reading is from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 11. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 11. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. The second reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here ends the reading. Um, thank you. Thank you for that uh, reading. Uh, two powerful readings, I think you'll agree. Uh, do take down that uh, text number on the screen because uh, I always really look forward to people uh, throwing their questions my way. Uh, I must say, Q&A doesn't always go swimmingly well. Uh, some years ago, I was giving a lecture at the University of Western Sydney uh, on the topic of last week's sermon, actually, the, the, the mysterious view of the early Christians that Jesus was God. And I asked this particular audience to just wonder at the uh, bizarre motif that the early Christians thought that God had entered the world and suffered on a cross. And I reflected on, 
on that theme. Uh, I thought the lecture went pretty well, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, but uh, the chairman got up after the lecture and opened the floor uh, to questions, as I would normally do. And immediately, a gentleman stood up, beautifully dressed, and he didn't really have a question. <laughs> he just took his time, uh, maybe five or six minutes, to tell everyone that everything I had just said in that lecture was preposterous. The idea that the infinite God could enter the world and suffer was ridiculous. And he went on with all sorts of arguments about uh, as if God would need daily sustenance and those sorts of things. Uh, it turned out he was an academic at the university and a Muslim leader, which was just my luck. He, he was very polite, I, I must say, but he was adamant that what I'd said was illogical. The idea that um, absolute majesty would have to eat sustenance was just unthinkable. In fact, he, he said to me, are you saying God went to the toilet? That was a confronting moment. But more than that, he said that what I had just uh, talked about was blasphemous because I had associated infinite majesty with weakness and humility and humiliation. And only later did I realize he was as good as quoting the Quran, the Islamic scriptures, which make uh, the very points that he made. We read in Surah 5, they do blaspheme who say, God is Christ, the Son of Mary. Christ, the Son of Mary, was no more than an apostle. His mother was a woman of truth. They both had to eat their daily food. See how God makes his signs clear to them, yet see in what way they, the Christians, are deluded. So I went back and forth with this uh, gentleman, and it was all very amicable, but there was also clearly not going to be a winner in this particular public debate, because our assumptions were miles apart. Um, his vision of God's majesty excluded, almost by definition, any notion of weakness. And yet, my vision, the Christian vision of God's majesty, consists precisely in His willingness to serve and to suffer. And so, in the end, I, I, I simply had to thank the gentleman for drawing to the audience's attention the stark difference between the Islamic and the Christian view of God. What is blasphemous to the Muslim is really the glory of Christianity, that God came to serve, indeed came to suffer. And uh, we have just heard perhaps the two clearest texts on this theme. Um, the first, Philippians uh, chapter 2, is often regarded by New Testament scholars as an early hymn to Christ. And that's why in most Bibles, here are my Bibles, uh, my English one and, and my Greek one, um, they're, they're set out in stanzas like poetry. You see that? They're indented and set out in stanzas. Because the rhyme and rhythm of the passage is hymn-like. Um, and as I said last week, you might remember, singing hymns to Christ as God 
was such a big deal amongst the early Christians that that practice even rated a mention in correspondence between the Roman governor Pliny and the Roman emperor Trajan from about the year 112. Uh, Pliny wrote to Trajan, the sum total of their guilt or error amounted to no more than this. They met regularly before dawn on a determined day and sang antiphonally a hymn to Christ as God. Well, Philippians 2 appears to be just such a hymn. And just as this hymn to Christ as God speaks of the glory of Christ, it actually could be described equally, I think, as a hymn to Christ as servant. Um, The language is quite stark. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then the hymn begins. It's like Paul has either written the hymn or quoting a hymn and placed it here beautifully, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and so on. You can see, can't you, um, why the Romans and later the Muslims have such a problem with this idea because the hymn seems to diminish God's majesty in a shocking way. Um, look at the juxtaposition. Um, in, the, in the phrase in verse 6, Jesus in very nature God, and then in verse 7, the very nature of a servant. What, what an incredible contrast that is. Uh, perhaps uh, more shockingly, the contrast there. Uh, Jesus um, had equality with God, and yet at the end of that stanza it says he experienced death on a cross. So I put it to you that the most extraordinary thing about this early Christian hymn now in the New Testament is not that Christians could say that Jesus was God. The more shocking thing is that they could find a way of saying in the one stanza, in the same breath, God, cross. God, cross. True majesty shows itself in humility and sacrifice. And this hymn has a remarkable resonance with the other passage we, we heard this morning, the passage from John 13, the famous text about Jesus uh, washing his disciples' feet. Here's that famous Ford Maddox uh, Brown uh, painting of, of the event. In fact, uh, this is the second version that um, Brown had to paint. The first version was seen as... Um, too human, too fleshy, too uh, humble. Um, And so uh, uh, Brown had to sort of dress Jesus up a little bit more so he didn't uh, look so lowly. Interesting how our culture still is shocked by this idea. Anyway, the the resonance between uh, this scene and the hymn that we just heard is is not only found in in the fact that they are both about the servant. The, The thing that I find so resonant is the juxtaposition of divine authority and service. 
the hymn clearly put those two thoughts together, but so does the scene that John narrates, because look how John introduces the scene of Jesus getting on his hands and knees and washing his disciples' feet. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so... Just think about that. I mean, you know what's coming, but imagine he didn't didn't know what was coming. So what? Right? He has all authority in heaven and earth. So what? He showed a miracle. He finally revealed his plans for world domination. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It sounds just like the hymn that would later be composed, in very nature God, took on the very nature of a servant. This is uh, so shocking, dare I say illogical, maybe even blasphemous, that Peter the chief apostle tries to stop Jesus. Good old Peter is always the first to put his foot in his mouth, and when Jesus comes to him, he does. Uh, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later, after the cross, and resurrection, you will understand. (laughs) Look at this. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Wow. At one level, spare a thought for Peter. Um, Imagine the one you revered as the Lord of all, taking off his robe, tying a towel around his waist, And doing for you what you had only ever seen a household servant do to masters and guests. Without gimmick, without guile, washing and drying your feet. Of course, it'll get more shocking. This scene obviously points beyond uh, the foot washing. Jesus is preparing his disciples for what they'll witness the next day. Jesus will be arrested, beaten, falsely tried. He will suffer. He will be crucified like a slave. He'll die for our salvation. The foot washing points forward to the cross. And that's why Jesus replies to Peter, the shocking words actually, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. The foot washing foreshadows the cleansing that will take place because of Jesus' death on a cross. Jesus regularly taught that every one of us will be held to account for our lack of love of neighbor and God, our lack of humility toward God and neighbor. And that his death and resurrection, he said, 
was our only hope. Our only hope. He, he served us, not just as an example, no, but to save us. We get exactly this theme from another saying of Jesus from a totally different gospel, Mark 10. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a unique moment in the history of ideas. In every culture we know of, a divinity is always marked by glory and power and majesty and judgment. Never humility. Never humility. In fact, the time of Jesus, humility was not even a virtue amongst equals, let alone a virtue of God. Humility in Greek and Roman ethics would be a degrading thing, to put yourself down to a level that you were not born to or that your standing in life did not require you to be in was disgraceful and debasing. There was no virtue in it at all. To hear that a Messiah, a great king, uh, a, an important person was crucified, well, it would be nonsense to the Greek or the Roman ear. It couldn't make sense of it. In fact, Roman citizens were not crucified for that very reason. It was just so shameful. So for the gospel message to proclaim a crucified Lord, it, it upended the value system that the Romans held. We're so used to this idea that we forget how remarkable it is. At the center of Christianity, God shows his glory by serving us, dying for us to save us. Uh, my mate, Ben Shaw, in his new book, uh, Seven Reasons to Reconsider Christianity, uh, tells of an extraordinary contemporary human example of humble self-sacrifice. Now, no comparison can fully capture the mystery of Christ's own service and suffering, but I, I find the story Ben tells compelling. Melbourne woman, Kimberly Deer, was pursuing a life ambition to go skydiving while she was uh, on holidays in St. Louis in Missouri uh, some years ago. And um, she had her lesson down on the ground and then she took off for her first skydiving attempt with her instructor. Uh, within minutes of takeoff, there was a loud bang and the plane started careering toward the earth. Her instructor was this man, Robert Cook. He calmly talked her through what was about to happen. And he said, quote, as the plane is about to hit the ground, make sure you're on top of me so that I'll take the force of the impact. 
and they did crash. Several of them died, including Robert Cook. Kimberly survived. And uh, from her hospital bed, uh, reporters uh, interviewed her and she said that in the final seconds, sure enough, Cook, Cook swiveled his body into position and pressed her head against his shoulder so that he would take the blow. She let him. She trusted him. She lived. Uh, Robert Cook was um, posthumously awarded uh, a bravery medal, of course. But as confronting as that true story is, in some ways, I want you to forget about that extraordinary story and replace it with the image of Jesus Christ dying for you. Listen to how Ben concludes. The main message of Christianity is that God came in human form, ultimately to be a substitute for us. On the cross, all our debt, punishment and shame was set upon Christ, allowing us to be fully exempt. Christ came to cushion the blow that we all really deserve. In effect, he laid down his own life to save ours. Not just one life for another, but his life for any of us who are willing to be cushioned by him. For any of us who are willing to be cushioned by him, we must let him. We must trust him to be our rescue, to be our cleansing. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. So I've got to ask, will you push Christ away? As Peter initially did. Or will you let him serve you, wash you? by trusting that his life, death, and resurrection are your only hope, are your only salvation. It's entirely possible that some of you watching are unwilling to take even one step until you've had every question about Christianity answered, every doubt resolved. And, and I just want to say to you, that might be a good approach when you're, say, buying a house or choosing to invest a lot of money. Yeah, cross every T, dot every I. But it's a hopeless way to begin a relationship, as some of you perhaps know. Relationships begin by taking a little step in the right direction and seeing what comes back. And then another little step and seeing what comes back. So if that's you, if you've never taken even one step, can I suggest you join a Christian group here, here at St. Matt's, maybe pick up a gospel and, and read the life of Jesus for yourself, or, or maybe even pray. Ask the Almighty, if you're there, if you're real, if all this stuff is true, will you show it to me? Just take a little step in the right direction. On the other hand, um, perhaps you've taken every step except the last one. 
You know, you've been hanging around St. Matt's for a long time or whatever church it is you go to. You've heard it all. And you, you basically believe it all too. You just have never trusted Christ. You've kept Christ at bay. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Can I urge you today, take that last step. Trust Jesus Christ that his perfect life, given on the cross for you and raised to glory, is your and my only hope. So Lord, will you please give us all clarity? Those with many doubts left, please give them clarity to think through the issues, but to take appropriate steps. And Lord, for those uh, watching on who just have not trusted you, will you please open their hearts and wash them? We stand back and are in awe that you, the God of the universe, in Jesus Christ, have served us. Amen. Thank you. John, thanks so much, mate, for speaking over these last three weeks, especially for leading us to this point. Uh, where we can just see the beauty of Jesus, uh, the one uh, who's described in that, uh, that, um, that hymn as being God himself, but who went to the cross for our sake. Um, thanks for those of you who've got questions. If you have more questions, please uh, send them through. Uh, there's one that's come up here for you, John. Uh, is God as servant an idea that's found in the Old Testament or is it just introduced with the incarnation, with Jesus becoming one of us? It's one of those things that's hinted at. And as soon as you learn about the gospel, the incarnation, uh, all sorts of passages light up. <laughs> they were always there. Yeah. It's just that maybe, you know, we skipped over them. Um, I mean, the obvious one is in Isaiah 53, yes. where this mysterious, he's actually called servant, mysterious servant of the Lord. Uh, suffers and dies for others. Mm. He, he is described simultaneously as the Lord of all the world, but the servant of people as well. And um, as soon as you uh, see a passage like that, lots of other passages in the prophets open up. Uh, in Hosea, you get passages where it's clear uh, the betrayal of humanity wounds God. I mean, God actually portrays himself as a wounded lover, you know, who has been betrayed mm. um, by his wife. And th this sense that God bears the sorrow of being betrayed, I think, hints toward him actually bearing the wounds of our redemption as well. Mm. I find one of the most um, reassuring things about our faith 
is that long preparation for the coming of Jesus, all the, all the ways in which he is foreshadowed through things like those, uh, those references to the servant. Yeah. Thank you. Now, have we got any more coming through there? Uh, here's another one. Uh, is Jesus really our only hope? Is there no other way to be friends with God? Uh, it, de- it depends if you trust Jesus, <laughs> what he said. Mm. Um, I, I know it's um, a more palatable view to step back and say, oh, there can be lots of different ways. But the, the thing is, when you confront the gospel itself, he is adamant that he is the only doorway. And you find this not just in one or two passages, but everywhere. He is the, he is the one that confronts everyone and, and says, I never knew you. He's the decider on the judgment day. Um, and in fact, last week's passage that I, that I spoke on from John 14, um, he, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, so I, I simply have to say, I find myself trusting Jesus on everything, including those kinds of very difficult statements. Thank you. Look, John, I'm, I'm going to now ask, um, on behalf of the person who might be ready to turn to Jesus, we, we've been praying that through this series, there would be people who recognise in themselves that they, they've never really known Jesus, um, and they'd like to know him better. And uh, you've, you refer to the, the kind of person who there's just really one step left. How, how would you know if you're that person? What would you need to know to want to turn to Jesus? Well, I, I think you reflect, do I trust the one I've read about in the Gospels? Mm. Do I trust him? Mm. And if the answer to that is yes, then I think the most natural uh, step is to tell him so, yeah. to actually verbalize it, to make a moment where what is already sitting there, perhaps, as sort of a, an innate trust that he lived the life you could never live, that he died on a cross for my salvation, that he rose again for my eternal life, I, I trust that, will actually tell him so, mm. express that trust to him. Um, I, I hinted in, in my sermon that Christianity is more like a relationship than, you know, investing in property. Yes. Um, you, you've got to actually make a step. You've actually got to verbalize to connect. So let's, some, let's say someone is ready to take that step now. How will things look different for them tomorrow and next week? Well, they, they should have an assurance that all the things Jesus said about those who trust in him mm. are true, mm. and especially the washing. Yes. You, you are washed. I mean, I didn't go in to reflect on it, but I love Peter's response when Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. And he goes, well, wash my head and my hands as well, right? He's just like, he's so in. He so wants it. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not necessary. You know, if I've, if I've washed you, you are washed. Yes. Um, um, and, and so it comes to just believing, trusting that that is the case. And so if you, you wake up tomorrow cleansed and confident that you're cleansed, mm. and the whole Christian life is the overflow of that. Mm. It's waking up each morning knowing that you're cleansed, mm. trusting in Christ, 
and then living in the light of that, which of course is a life of love and humility. Um, both the Philippians passage and the John 13 passage, if I had double the time, yeah. I would have explored the way Jesus says, this is an example of the Christian life. Yes. We are to have the mindset of Christ. I didn't have that time, but, but Christianity is super simple. You trust what Christ has done for you, that he's cleansed you through his death and resurrection. And then you just live that life of love and humility in the world. Mm. Not in order to gain the cleansing, but as an expression of thankfulness for the cleansing. Thank you so much for answering those questions. I'm going to offer you the chance to express that trust in Jesus by praying with me. Uh, We'll put the prayer up on the screen and give you a chance just to understand what it is that you'd be saying to God if you're ready to turn and follow Jesus as your saviour and your Lord. I'll just read it through for you and make a couple of comments on the way and then I'll invite you to pray it silently to God as I read it aloud. So here's a prayer to God acknowledging uh, your shame and your need for forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. Uh, Then acknowledging who Jesus is and what he has done. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. And then a commitment you make. I turn from my sins and I invite you into my heart and life as Saviour and Lord. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. We've got another page there. Okay. Well, I invite you to uh, pray silently to God as I read this prayer out loud. Dear Lord Jesus... I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, if You've just prayed that prayer. Know that God has heard it and answered it. Welcome, can I say, into the family of God's people. It's a wonderful journey that you've just begun uh, to take and you've taken the first step. At St Matthews, we'd, we'd love to be of assistance to you moving forward as you take your next steps in trusting and following Jesus. Uh, so if you're ready to do so, We'd, um, we'd love to be able to get in touch with you, so could you let us know, either on that text line uh, that the texts came in just uh, a moment ago, or using the, the digital connect card, the QR code, and uh, we'll make sure that someone reaches out to you in this next week. But praise God, we've been praying that you would take just that step. Now David and Emma Sini are coming up to lead us as we sing together. So uh, do you want to stand on your feet or or stay seated, but make sure you voice uh, this wonderful song, At the Name of Jesus.
Are you getting me? Great. <laughs> it's been great to have you here today at St Matthew's Online. Uh, I mentioned earlier that book uh, by Ben Shaw, Seven Reasons to Reconsider Jesus. Uh, we'd love to make that available to you. Just let us know if you're interested in it. Uh, you could text in or uh, get through to us on the, the Connect card. Uh, next week, we begin a new series, a series that I think is very relevant at this time when we're apart from each other, we're not seeing each other in person, as we consider a great theme of the New Testament, the theme of one another, uh, relationships, God's ways. How do we work that out uh, in the midst of a pandemic? Uh, that's something to really look forward to from next week and for weeks to come. But as we wrap up, let me um, read from the scriptures a word of encouragement as we entrust one another to God's care. This is from uh, the end of the book of Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen and Amen.